Hello, welcome to this week's edition of the Africa Climate Conversations podcast, a weekly podcast bridging climate change communication gaps in Africa. I'm your host, Sophie Mbogwa. The 26th UN Climate Change Meeting starts this weekend for the next two weeks in Glasgow, Scotland. So this week we thought it best to have the African group of negotiators bring us up to speed on the critical issues the continent will be pushing at Glasgow. So I'm honored to have the spokesperson, Abbasanda Saini Nafo. Thank you so much, Abbasanda Nafo, for finding time today. Welcome to the show and please introduce yourself. I'm Saini Nafo. I'm an ambassador in Mali, high representative uh, for climate change. I'm an advisor to the president at home. I'm also the uh, spokesperson of the African group. I am a former chair uh, a few years ago uh, for the uh, West African uh, region. You know that every two years a region chairs Africa. And right now we have um, Gabon chairing the AGN. I've been involved in negotiations for about, for about 10 years, uh, mainly on finance, mitigation, and issues related to uh, rules and, and procedures. And also you do chair the Adaptation Initiative, right? That's true. I'm, I'm also the technical coordinator of the African Adaptation Initiative, which was an initiative launched in Paris at COP21 uh, in 2015 by African Exo States to really enhance adaptation on the ground. I'm very involved in that initiative um, I, and we could really d- uh, dedicate some time because that, that initiative deals with implementation on the ground, you know, whereas the negotiation deals with quite well negotiating decisions and all kinds of, of negotiation matters. But this initiative deals really with enhancing implementation on the ground. So I'll be happy to present some, some of the work and activities uh, under, you know, underway. Fantastic, because I plan on having some time before this building momentum on COP26 ends to discuss basically the initiative that were um, agreed upon during the Paris Agreement time. That is the Adaptation Initiative and also the Africa Renewable Energy Initiative. So we will have some time before the end of November to basically discuss Mm -hmm. where the Adaptation Initiative is, what we have achieved and why it is very important, especially at this particular time, and adaptation being one of the crucial issues for the African group. True. I'll, I'll be happy to, uh, you know, I'll be happy to come in and, and present, definitely. Super. All right. So what I wanted us to talk about today is basically um, look back at what happened in Madrid uh, for our audiences to bring them um, to date, what exactly happened in Madrid and where we are picking things from. I know they've been... Uh, Previously, there have been, of course, meetings that have happened, online meetings and particular meetings that have happened, even if COP26 was actually postponed to this year. But I just want to you to bring us to speed. What happened for the African group? What, what did Africa achieve in Madrid? And what were the things that were left hanging? Well, unfortunately, not much happened in, uh, in, uh, in Madrid. Uh, you would recall that in Madrid, we were supposed to finalize what is called the uh, Paris uh, rule book. The Paris rule book, which is it's basically all the, the the technical work which is needed to fully operationalize the Paris the Paris Agreement, and uh, so we are still uh, with we're still left with two very important I mean three very important negotiations to to finish that. One is actually on adaptation, all the technical work related to uh, understanding adaptation cost, understanding or, or better uh, plan. Uh, for adaptation, uh, better recognized efforts of African countries. There's a whole uh, negotiation around that, which is called around the global goal on adaptation, which is really everything related to adaptation and treating adaptation as a comprehensive block. There's that one element. The second piece 
is on markets. You would, you would recall that uh, already in Katowice, which was before Madrid, we were supposed to finalize the negotiation on the new carbon markets uh, as per the Paris Agreement. Those rules are still being negotiated and were not finalized in, uh, in, uh, in Madrid. And uh, rules around transparency on, 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 on climate finance, meaning having a better understanding and more clarity and disaggregation of the finance uh, information and, and the finance which is provided uh, north to, to south. So on all those fronts, a lot of work still, uh, we didn't finalize a number of those pieces. On the finance part, which was uh, also uh, significant, uh, we had some expectation in, in Madrid to have a, uh, a very clear understanding of where we were uh, mm-hmm. in terms of the 100 billion. And this was already, uh, what, in 20, in 2018, we were not able to get that, that mandate to have clarity on where we were on the 100 billion. We wanted to have a roadmap already. The African group wanted to have a roadmap on the new goal, which has to be set by 2025. This is a new goal on finance. So it's a new figure, which is going to replace the 100 billion. On none of those, we are not able to make any progress on none of those events. Well, it's true. We are in 2021 now. In, in 2018, you had a different, this was a different world. You had a different uh, U.S. administration. The U.S. was not in the Paris uh, uh, Agreement then. Now you have a new administration, very much in the Paris Agreement, very much pro-climate. And uh, so the situation has still. But but frankly, uh, Madrid was a disappointing cop for the African group, and I think for developing countries uh, by and large. Um, despite the, the the disappointment, was there? I remember there was a win on gender. Explain that for us. Yes, you would recall again that in in, in Paris. It was made very clear that uh, gender would be a strong uh, focus and, and will be uh, not just a sideshow, but frankly integrated in, in, in climate action and climate action from, from all sides, uh, whether uh, mitigation, adaptation, or even in, in climate finance, and even in terms of the participation to, to, to the meetings. And finally, we were able to adopt in a, a concrete action plan to advance that. So this is not a small a small feat. It's really giving, if you want, teeth into the the agreement and having concrete activities to uh, integrate gender in our uh, in our work. Um, Saini, what has happened between Madrid and now at COP26? A lot has happened. Take one, for instance, the U.S. has joined the Paris Agreement, and you would know that the U.S. was instrumental in having an agreement in Paris in that mm, agreement mm, being mm. ratified and uh, entered into force just a year, which is historical. So having the U.S. with, a, you know, the most important uh, country in terms of providing climate finance, in terms of historical responsibility and on the quantum of emissions. So having that, that country back, and not just back, but back in the leading position where climate plays now a central role in the U.S., in the Biden administration, this is a very strong, important development. Mm-hmm. The second uh, strong development, uh, fortunately or unfortunately, is of course uh, the COVID reality. Yeah. COVID, uh, well, we, we're going into a COP now, which is a very hybrid COP where uh, there is, you know, we are in the midst of a, a pandemic. But at the same time, what we have learned from COVID, which was very important to us and to our partners, is that money, money is not an issue. Uh, mm-hmm. The uh, the developed world has spent more than a dozen trillions. I'm not talking billions. A dozen trillions, which is twelve thousand billions 
in, uh, uh, you know, in propping the economies, in making the economies resilient. So what is sure now is that there's no shortage of money. You know, mm-hmm. before COVID, we were still, you know, in conversation, in negotiation with our colleagues. This idea, well, well public resources are scarce. We need to manage uh, uh, in a certain, you know, we need to mobilize private finance because we don't have enough public finance. That all argument has gone out of the window. Yeah. In Japan, yeah. in Europe, in US, they've literally printed thousands of billions to rescue their economy. So now, if we are serious, if our partners are serious about climate change, their money, resources, finance, technology should be made available. That argument of, well, there's not enough public resources doesn't hold anymore. This is also a fundamental change. And this has prompted the African ministers when they met two, three weeks ago in Senegal to really have as a minimum threshold at least $1.3 trillion as a start, as a start in the next negotiation on, on, on finance. So we're now also starting as Africa to have a better understanding of what resources we need for uh, adequate climate action, whether mitigation mm-hmm. or adaptation. This is the second cycle of NDCs. We're asking what has changed. Well, African countries, most of them, have submitted their second round of, of NDCs, of, of commitments, climate commitments. So we have a better understanding now as to what we need for mitigation, what we need for adaptation. We have more figures, more quantitative uh, uh, elements and data to deal with that uh, so those yeah, are the, those are the three elements i could also speak about the the, the green climate fund which has been uh, which has been replenished and um, and and africa is getting about one third of, of of those resources we definitely need to do more i could talk about the africa adaptation initiative and and, and some of the work that we've been doing in the last two three years to really enhance implementation on the ground whether through climate finance readiness or just working with countries to access more uh, to access the climate finance which is which is available it might be inadequate in terms of quantum and in terms of accessibility but also but starting to help and assist countries uh, to to access the finance does it mean that now it's very clear that the availability of funds is not the problem but when you're looking into a report that was published in nature three days ago looks into says very clearly that the 12-year Copenhagen 100 billion US dollars promise is not yet in. And we, oh, we so saw see. the UN Secretary General. <laughs> yes, I can hear sorry you. Sorry to interrupt. No, sorry mm-hmm. to interrupt. Don't get me mm-hmm. wrong. I mm-hmm. said that there's no shortage of money per se. So in absolute, ah. that doesn't mean, and, and, I, and, I, and I agree, the 100 billion, they're not there. The OECD, which is the group of, which is the organization where all those developed parties are, are members, uh, made a report a few weeks ago. You know, you're quoting that one. I'm quoting the, the OECD report, yes, which yes. gives a figure, you know, the, it, which is 79.6 billion. This is where mm-hmm. they are. They are at 79.6 billion. So we mm-hmm. are nowhere near the 100 billion. Some of the arguments that we heard is that, well, the US was not in the Paris Agreement for four years. When you know that the US is, you know, historically the US has been, has been providing one third of the total of what developed countries provide. And the U.S. climate finance before the Biden administration was about 5.4, like let's say, well, ballpark figure, $6 billion a year, okay? Yeah. So Biden came and he doubled that to almost 11.4 to $12 billion. Well, civil society, African countries and others think that the U.S. should go, yes, should go to at least $30 billion. So this administration should go at least 
to 30 billion before the end. And I'm sure that there is there is possibility and there's political will. You know, we've seen the U.S. really doubling twice. They double first in April uh, when President Biden organizes his climate summit and he doubled it again at the UN General Assembly just uh, just a few weeks ago. So we believe that the US has, has the resources and the political will and should go to the maximum, which is at least at least 30 billion. If that happens in the next few years, then we can then then we can be there. So, so I'm making the difference between actually the, the, the three parts to that conversation. The first part is there's no shortage of money per se, mm-hmm. meaning if developed countries want tomorrow to make available one trillion, meaning uh, one thousand billion of dollars, it is possible, because frankly they'll just need to <laughs> to just print it. So that's one thing. Second, we're not at the one hundred billion yet. It's seventy nine point six, but they can ramp up now that the U.S. is back in the agreement. This can be ramped up very quickly. Now, third is accessing the resources which are there, and that yes, one, mm-hmm. oh my God. That one needs a lot of work. I mean, accessing climate, we've done some work to identify why, what are the barriers and what are the challenges to access climate finance. And in our work, we have discovered that there are three fundamental barriers. One is formulating projects and proposals. Second is mobilizing resources, because in many cases, you need to be able to blend public private, domestic, and international resources. And the third is execution. And in all those three areas, there's a lot of work for us as African countries to do. Absolutely. Access of finance has been a big issue. But also, um, Sidney, there's also another issue because the 100 billion per year was actually promised. But then again, it was not delivered. The question I was going to ask you is that as we move towards a post-2020 finance roadmap, how does African team, how do you expect, with the knowledge that now it's available out there, that there's no lack of finances, how do you intend to push for just not pledges, but making sure that this money is actually made available. As much as African countries and different um, African countries have a problem with access, but how do we make sure that this money, these pledges are not just pledges, they are money that are delivered, whatever that the developed country says in a year they're going to deliver. Well, well, the way the group is looking at it is that first of all, what we want to do to ensure that this negotiation is really different and and, and uh, sort of build backs and, and learn from what has happened in, in the 100 billion is to have, you see, in the when the 100 billion pledge was made or pledge uh-huh. commitment was made, there was no technical work, meaning developed countries in that particular case, it was first of all, Minister Gordon Brown and then uh, uh, Hillary Clinton, who just announced Clinton, 100 billion, a round figure. Mm-hmm. What mm-hmm. we want to have right now is a two steps is a two steps approach i mean the first step which is technical work which is going to be not just all the 197 countries together but Mm -hmm. representative like technical experts and we did that uh in 2011 uh in the creation of the green climate fund 40 experts high level experts work for a whole year together and produce a governing instrument and then that governing instrument was tabled and negotiated at COP. We want something similar. So I have a technical uh, group. The technical group will do quantitative assessment of not only what is needed, but also where the money could be mobilized from. And then third, having then an accountability, transparency mechanism to ensure that the money which is pledged is sort of committed, it is disbursed, it is received, hopefully mainly through national entities 
and this is all done in an efficient manner. Shouldn't that technical team uh, would have made some work in terms of understanding what exactly does Africa need, actually, that you can use it for negotiations to push for the post-2020 finance? In terms of individual countries, this is the second cycle of NDCs. So there was already uh, two years ago, for instance, on adaptation, the AFDB, the African Development Bank, did an aggregation of all the adaptation uh, uh, priorities of Africa as presented by African countries in their national adaptation plans, in their adaptation, uh, the adaptation component of their, uh, their contribution to say, this is how much Africa needs. And they did it in a very, you know, in, in a sector, in a, in a sectoral manner, in a regional manner. So as I said, we have a lot more quantitative inputs on our elements, on our needs right now than 10 years ago or even five years ago. So we have already started to prepare to aggregate and to compile those information, getting ready to sort of bring that information to, to the table. And as I said, yeah. that group is going to be pre-commitment, meaning doing that quantitative assessment of the needs and the, and where the resources could be mobilized. But even when the figure is going to be adopted or the goal is going to be adopted, we want to have a technical body which is going to ensure that what has been pledged is being disbursed, but it's also being disbursed in a manner which is in accordance with developing countries and African needs. Apart from finance, there are other critical issues that are critical for actually for African yes. continent. What are those issues? Well, as I mentioned, adaptation, the reality mm -hmm. for what we are seeing right now on the continent is the adaptation costs are already dire. Uh, again, uh, AFDB came up with, a, uh, AFDB did, a, did a, uh, a study on that. African countries are already paying anywhere from 3 to 5% of their GDP per year on, on, you know, on, on, on uh, uh, climate impact costs already. They're already seeing that. And in some cases, it can be uh, devastating. You know, we've all seen the, the extreme weather events in, uh, in sure. Mozambique, in Zambia. Uh, we're seeing floods in the, uh, in the Sahel, in, in the Sahara. We're seeing more heat waves. We're seeing locust invasion. I mean, the Africa has to adapt right now. And that adaptation is going to be more and more important in, in the future. Mm -hmm. We advocated in the Paris Agreement for what we call a global goal on adaptation, which is a comprehensive undertaking for adaptation because before the paris agreement adaptation used to be like the orphan child of you know you had mitigation frankly in the center but adaptation was almost the orphan child in the process so right now we want very serious work to start to be launched actually at cop 26 which will do those things which i mentioned first to sort of have a better understanding of the cost and not just the cost right now and the cost in the future based on different temperature scenarios because Adapting to a two-degree world is not the same thing than adapting to a 2.5 or a three-degree world. So that's first, understanding of cost. Second, we need to have better instruments to integrate adaptation in the national development planning processes, whether for sectors or whether for region and at the local level. Third, there's a need to recognize that African countries and developing countries are already spending a lot of their fiscal, uh, a lot of their own domestic resources into adaptation. So when we say, well, that we, we have to be supported by our partners, the reality is that mm. Africa probably is paying in terms of adaptation cost. We are paying probably now 50, 60, 70, 80% of the cost right now. And this is mm -hmm. not being recognized because sometimes we ask, well, we, 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 are, um, we are being portrayed as well. We are begging or we are asking for money or we, no, this is, a, it, this is not charity. Climate yeah. change, developed countries 
are responding to their historical responsibility, it's a commitment. It's not charity. It's not aid. They're paying climate finance because they have recognized that they have a historical responsibility in having created that problem. And we are paying the price with our own resources. The fourth point beyond the recognition of, of the effort is then trying to see how do we close this gap? How do we close the knowledge gap? How do we close the funding gap? How do we close institutional gap? This is through international cooperation, whether South-South, North-South, Pan-African. So those we want, to, we want to then launch this work, which is really going to tackle adaptation in a very meaningful manner, in a very substantive manner. This is as important to us. This is a very important uh, objective for us at this COP. And that also speaks in terms of loss and damage because there's a lot of cost that actually comes as a result of the impact in that historically African countries and many uh, poor nations have not been responsible for that. But how do developing nations force a decision on loss and damage, making sure that who pays for this loss separate from the normal adaptation funds, from the normal mitigation funds? Well, that one has been and is still a very actually a very controversial negotiation, simply mm-hmm. because the price tag to some of those figures could be uh, limitless or infinite. I mean, in the case of, for instance, the loss of islands, literally, I mean, some yeah. islands will disappear, whether this is in 20, in 30 or 40 years. How do you compensate a, a nation which loses its its land? I mean, not just its land, but the whole land, because, you know, the, the, the whole premise around a nation state is, is on a territory, right? Is on a you know is on a land. So yeah. when, when that land disappears, how do you compensate that? Legally, financially, I mean because of that that, that staggering cost and, and, and really the liability which are infinite, our partners mm. have been extremely reluctant to you know are extremely reluctant to to even start a conversation on how this could be handled. Because some fear mm. But then they will be taken to court and then and they would have to, to literally commit uh, trillions, not really billions, but trillions in terms of compensating those countries. So it has been a very, and it is a very controversial uh, negotiation. But before I let you, I just want you to talk uh-huh. about um, the Article 6 on carbon markets, basically. I remember in Madrid, um, Africa was pushing for part of the carbon market, money to go to adaptation funds. Remind, just walk us through what is Africa's possession when it comes to carbon markets? Okay. So to, to make it plain and, and simple, mm-hmm. historically, at least in the in the Kyoto Protocol, which was mm-hmm. the agreement before before Paris, there was uh, on on every ton of carbon which was sold through that agreement, there was a levy. It was actually a levy which would then, you know, be used as a resource to fund the the, the adaptation fund. So we have historically mitigation or carbon markets uh, finance adaptation. Mm -hmm. So from that principle-based or that that, just that historical reality, Africa has kept that, that principle to say well, in the future, regardless of the carbon market scheme that we have, we must have a levy to fund adaptation because the reality is adaptation is poorly funded, right? So that's yes, a principle yes. based. And, and that mm. one is getting a lot of opposition or, or resistance because mm. there's two negotiations in the carbon market. Right? There's the negotiation for the system which will replace the CDM, I mean, the Clean Development Mechanism. What you know, when people say carbon market, government, they actually talk about that carbon mm-hmm. markets under the under the UN. Mm-hmm. This is the one, and that this is the one scheme which is funding the adaptation cost, the adaptation fund. What we mm-hmm. are saying is that, regardless of the scheme, whether 
uh, whether the 2.0 UN scheme for carbon or whether mm-hmm. other uh, new uh, carbon schemes, they all have to fund adaptation. So our partners are not agreeing with us on this one. Mm-hmm. And we're, we're holding firm. That, that's the first That's the first tenet, basically. The second mm-hmm. is on the rules. Yeah. What we did in the past sometimes was to be very, I mean, to be somehow to create flexibility on rules for different countries. So I'm not going to name any country per se, but we <laughs> we allow for rules to be a bit soft and loose mm-hmm. to sort of fit some countries' national circumstances. Mm-hmm. What we are saying now, but we cannot allow ourselves for that. Yeah. But the rules have to be as stringent as possible because, frankly, we already have very inadequate mitigation pledges. So we cannot add on those inadequate pledges accounting loopholes because a ton is a ton is a ton. We must really count what the universe sees. And we cannot, it's not even the financial implication because it has more than financial implication. This is a matter of life and death for many, if not for us all at some, you know, uh, at a final point. So we cannot be loose with rules. So we, uh, the African group is actually being extremely stringent on rules to sort of promote in environmental integrity. Mm. And in the past, we could have, we would have, let's say, developing countries, we would have been a bit flexible with rules if, I mean, provided, but that will translate into some financial gains. So our position has changed totally. So those are the two basic tenets of our position, meaning yeah. very strong and stringent rules to ensure environmental integrity so that there's no loopholes. And then mm-hmm. second, that all mechanisms, whether they're under the UN or not under the UN, must have a levy to finance adaptation. And we can discuss now the, uh, the percentage or we can discuss the modality but in principle, there needs to be a levy to fund adaptation. Fantastic. Sadie, I have three questions that I wanted you to address. Yes, um, and I can see our time is so much spent, but I still want you to answer these questions. And one of them is from Jameson coming from Malawi. And he's asking, we are just a one week away from the COP. And one of the things that is happening within the continent or within the global south is that a majority of delegates are finding it very hard to be able to travel um, to, uh, to Glasgow, basically because of COVID restrictions, financial restrictions as well. And of course, some of them have found very many difficulties in terms of accessing budgets and invites as well. So he's asking, at this particular time where very few delegates will probably manage to get to Glasgow, how do you make sure that the African voice is loud and clear and not shut down by you know governments and lobbies? This is, this is a very good question. It's, um, how would I say, it? it's a bit of a, a conundrum because we in Africa, and we were very clear, but there's no way that we can have a virtual negotiation. Hmm that the only way for us to come to any agreement is to have a, a face-to-face negotiation. We were very clear. And uh, we are living in this uh, COVID reality. Sure. So, so indeed, it's, 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 it's a challenge to ensure universal participation. And, and in, to even in, you know, in, in Africa, we do negotiate. We are the only one, we're the only region which negotiate as a bloc. Uh, mm. The European Union is 27, but not all European nations are in the, the European Union. Uh, and and so, so we are 54. Uh, so it has its advantages and disadvantages, uh, you know, being 54. Of course, 
uh, you know, smaller delegations will make it to COP. Uh, what the African group has, has done over the, the years is that, you know, the African group is probably, I would say, at least, well, let's at least 500 or so negotiators, I would imagine, at, at least 500 or so negotiators. Out of those 500 or so negotiators, about 50 perhaps are the lead negotiators. Those are the ones that would take the mic and speak on behalf of, of Africa. Hmm. So what we have done as a group is to ensure that that small group, those 50, each one is there. Uh-huh. And, and through uh, electronic communication, each one of the lead coordinator has a coordination group, you see. Small yeah. example, we have actually two adaptation negotiators, and the two ladies, one from Egypt, one from Ghana. But each one of them, you know, have also maybe 20, 30, 40 negotiators to sort of support her in leading the work. Fortunately, through electronic means, uh, WhatsApp and what have you, we can sort of still be able to to engage. But it's it's it's, it's going to be a challenge. It is a challenge. Mm. I myself, mm. I'm on, I'm on my way to Glasgow, and and it is a challenge. So I spent uh, probably five six hours filling forms, and it is a challenge. Uh-huh. But we have been prepared. I mean, there was no COP last year. We have been prepared. We have done a lot of work, and we're coming. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, as as lead negotiators, lead coordinator, we're coming prepared. And as I indicated, we are working with the colleagues who are back home. Uh, yeah. All the meetings we're having now are hybrid meetings. For instance, right now, the lead coordinators are meeting in Glasgow, in situ. But at the same time, the meeting is also uh, webcast. So the other colleagues who couldn't join are going to be there. And we'll keep such an hybrid form until, until the very end. But it is a challenge, true. It is yeah. a challenge. Hopefully yeah. next year, when the COP will be in Africa, we'll, you know, everybody mm. will be able to attend. But it is a challenge. And now goes to the second question. And we have a question from Dr. Mahmoud Bambasila from the African Institute for Mathematics Sciences in Rwanda. He's asking, um, how does the African group of negotiation harness expertise, uh, scientific expertise from Africa, you know, in Africa for the negotiations? So he's asking, where do you get your climate information from? How do you know how the climate affects Africa? What are the facts ah. that you have as a group? Uh-huh. How do you how do you intend to use that for, for oh, the negotiation? Yeah, that's a very good question. The fact mm-hmm. is that so the, the group is composed of 54 national focal points. Mm-hmm. So those national focal points are usually at the ministries of of uh, environment and the Met offices. Okay. So basically, we benefit from all the resources of our of our members. So for instance, you know, South Africa. Uh, so the focal point is in is in the Ministry of, of Environment. Uh, but we're working, you know, in the group, we're working with the University of Cape Town. There, there are a number of professors in the University of Cape Town. There's mm-hmm. the CSR, um, um, the, the South African Science and Industrial uh, Council, uh, Research Council, with, we, we, we work with. We work with uh, uh, African Union-related uh, uh, organization, the regional economic uh, communities. But we build on, you know, on our membership. You know, this okay. is a, a multilateral intergovernmental negotiation. So mm-hmm. all the institutes, so in the case of, of, of Rwanda, the mm. national focal point is at, is at the EPA. We work with the EPA, we work with the fund. It, it's good that um, the professor mentioned the, the institute. And we're also open. We're very open to receiving inputs. But I, it, it's as simple as when a, a specific negotiation starts, we go mm. to whatever African institutions where we have to go to to get the information. And okay. I must also add that the composition of the group is also very diverse. As mm. much as 
the national focal points. The national focal points sort of they adopt the African common positions, but the lead negotiators themselves are technicians and experts coming from all sorts of backgrounds. You have consultants, you have legal people, you have lawyers, you have university professors. Many, many of our uh, lead negotiators may not actually be from the uh, the Ministry of Environment, and very few are actually even uh, national focal points. Uh, usually our lead negotiators are experts experts in the field in which they negotiate or uh, lead uh, diplomats who actually work with their negotiation group and in their negotiation group they have all kinds of experts so for instance if if the professor is following a, a specific negotiation and he would be interested in in sort of providing input of, of the institute I'll be more than happy to, to support that but we do reach out to African institutions to African expertise whatever it is in the diaspora or uh, on the continent to be able to I mean to ensure but when we we, we we negotiate we do negotiate from from knowledge from science and, and the rule of law absolutely and so experts like him are uh, from the continent who probably would want because probably there are more than um dr babasila would want his institution to actually make inputs in terms of the negotiations but in case anybody else or any other institution within the continent would want to contribute how would they in terms of reach out to the african group of negotiators well we have a website please do share the the website and, and colleagues can also go on the on our website to sort of get acquainted of you know with with the work and mm-hmm. by all means you know send us a, a message and what what we will definitely do is to link you you know regardless of the specificity actually the more specific your request the mm-hmm. more specific will be also to guide you and and pinpoint to in let's say a specific lead negotiator i do that almost on a daily basis so for instance i receive a lot of requests as a spokesperson to you know to speak to the lead negotiator on 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 markets and i mm-hmm. and i do direct colleagues or, or i do direct the request that or sometimes request to gender or depending on you know we have about 50 or so themes which are being negotiated from finance to legal matters to adaptation agriculture mitigation uh, transparency systems in mitigation transparency reporting in finance so the more specific requests the more specific your request the more I'll, i'll be able to direct it to the person who is who is most uh, adequate or uh, who is leading that that negotiation for the continent okay and that means but that, the entry um, point should be the website the entry point should be the the uh, the website the website absolutely so i'm going to share that website on our website please do so if you are listening so uh you scroll back and uh, on our on our website africa climate conversations you'll find the african group of negotiators website there and 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 abasrasini i'm sure like um i can if anybody reaches reaches out to africa climate conversations we can be able to share your email please and do. put you to yes, in, in please contact, do. yes right? you can exactly exactly you can share my my email and i'll just forward it to to the relevant colleague uh, or i'll forward it to the assistant of the chair and uh, we will definitely do that fantastic and so to the yes. very final question so um when i was i was, I was earlier telling you that we actually earlier on had uh, um an, a conversation with kamar he's uh talking about the 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 position in terms of understanding basically the special needs and circumstances of african continent and and moses is actually asking um given that ldcs were basically the most opposing one well, some of the opposing groups to the the africa special needs and 
circumstances uh, in Madrid. Have you, um, as AGN, reached out or achieved a common voice on this matter between the all African delegates, be it they are under Africa or be, be, be it they are under LDCs in terms, or do we see the same outcome as, or, you know, push and pull as in Madrid? Well, this is this this is a very uh, a very serious um, question and 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 matter. You, you know, ideally there shouldn't be any uh, any controversy or even any uh, any major difference or any difference at all between mm-hmm. African countries, regardless if they're LDCs or not, right? Yeah. So, yep. Um, but the fact that of course, but the fact that you have LDCs beyond beyond Africa mm. makes it a bit of a, a, a challenge, uh, really. What we've done since Madrid, mm. and that we'll continue and, and work and work really closely on, is uh, political coordination. The reality is that the next LDC chair is going to be African. You know that right now the chair is yeah. from uh, from Bhutan, I believe, mm-hmm. and the next LDC mm-hmm. chair is going to be an African chair. Mm-hmm. So this is a great opportunity at the mm-hmm. highest political level because this is becoming now a very political. I mean, Africa special circumstances is a very political. Uh, or ensuring uh, our special circumstances are recognized and acknowledged. Mm-hmm. It's a very political uh, issue. And we're going into an African COP next year. And, sure. and, and we want that African COP to be the, at the latest, we want this to be to be addressed and, 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 and finalized there. So mm-hmm. we have reached out to, the, uh, to our uh, principles, our political principles, and mm-hmm. sort of ensure that this is taken at that level. But this is taken at ministerial, even heads of state level, so that okay. we, we don't have a situation where we could even be seen as African countries contradicting each other or African. This is not good for, you know, we shouldn't, we shouldn't in that, uh, in that position. So mm-hmm. that's how we, 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 we are addressing it in a political manner, because in the technical, at the technical point, I think the argument has been made and it has been articulated in a very, hopefully in a very, I mean, I think in a very convincing manner. I mean, we've done, mm-hmm. we've compiled information and inputs from, from most uh, African institutions, the African Union, uh, the, uh, the African Union Economic Commission on Africa, the AFDB and others to really demonstrate uh, uh, Africa's um, socioeconomic uh, vulnerability beyond and above uh, climate change. So the technical work has been done, but we realize that maybe now the political work is what needs to be. We have not spent meaningful time and on the political and the diplomatic work which needs to happen at that political level. You know, we have informed and we're working now with the political level to ensure that this is done definitely at, at, at this COP, but going into the African COP. And as I said, it's going to be an African country which will chair the LDC group. So this is most opportune going as well into an African COP. So Absolutely. the, the stars are, are, are aligning and we really must make uh, the best use of that alignment to to ensure that Africa is uh, Africa is safe. Absolutely. You see, it's a very it's a very uh, it's a very sensitive question, and you know, and you know, I myself, I'm you know, I'm, I'm, I'm I'm a Malian, and Somalia is an LDC country, yeah. so there's you know, and, and Africa, and we, we you graduate as we like to say, we will all graduate one day from the LDC but you'll never graduate from Africa from Africa sure. <laughs> so, so at the end of the day at the end of the day Africa is the one who keeps us all safe not mm. not any other you know group uh, you know which has been which has been um, uh, composed or constituted on on economic or that very economic uh, 
economic basis. And, and, and the good thing is, the good thing, and I'll stop there, the good thing is that the political level understand that totally and the political level is aligned. And actually, our political principles, uh, they all would have wanted to be out of the LDCs uh, 10 years ago. So it's, it's, mm. it's really, I mean, convincing them, it has been very easy for us to, to present the argument and to say that, well, there's this uh, issue and we have proposed ways to, to address it. Of course, in a political and a diplomatic manner, because as I indicated, you have non-African LDCs and the way it's not to say, well, that uh, their concerns are not going to be taken into account. But uh, at the political, at the right political level, ministers, not just ministers of environment, even ministers of foreign affairs, they can really pursue that conversation and make sure that uh, we have an outcome which benefits all developing countries, by the way. This was our position to say we are willing to work with all developing countries in recognizing uh, and, and acknowledging their, their, their special circumstances and make ways for that and make provisions for that. So this is not actually, we're not asking anyone to just support Africa and left themselves behind. The position we are adopting is, you know, no developing country uh, left behind. Yeah, so, all right, Sini. Um, we've really gone so overboard in terms of time, but I just want to um, hear from you as a final word. What would be the ideal outcome for Africa be at Glasgow? Wow, what would be the ideal outcome? Well, some of some of the, uh, the, the, the few outcomes would be on, on adaptation, uh, I, I told you about this comprehensive work program to be yeah. adopted uh, on uh, finance, the roadmap that I had indicated, you know, which would have that very strong technical work and then a political process where we will agree on a goal and then we'll have a standing technical body to really ensure that the pledges and the commitment are dispersed and in a transparent manner. This negotiation has to pass. On the 100 billion, as I said, we, I mean, as OECD said, we are at 79.6 billion. There need to be now a clear commitment and a timetable as to when the 100 billion is going to be there, accessible and, and, and dispersed. The special circumstance on, on Africa, we need to have a dedicated space and time bound to finalize it, which would be to me latest, uh, latest uh, next year. And then a lot more in increase in, in ambition. And it's, frankly, I mean, the, the, the COP26 starts with a summit of heads of state, a leader summit on the first and the second. What we need, we need a serious ramp up of ambition, mitigation ambition, finance ambition. So I hope that uh, those leaders traveling to, to Glasgow will come with, uh, with, additional, with additional ambition on, on finance on uh, mitigation so that we really start the COP on the on a very high uh, high momentum mm. the nature of article 6 conversation is, is is so technical our position is known we as africa if we don't have stringent rules we will not compromise the rules we will not have a, a for us no outcome is better than an outcome which will prejudice uh, the environmental integrity of the system meaning if a few developed countries or one or two developed countries are telling us well but they can't join because uh, these rules will make it impossible for them to count their forestry well we'll tell them well that's then that's fine then no agreement so on on, on the markets our positions are the integrity will not gonna negotiate the integrity of the system and on uh, on the levy it's too you know our position right now is no we need to have you know we need to have a process of that of that levy if that is not going to happen well how are we going to fund adaptation? On loss, loss and damage, mm -hmm. what we are working towards on adaptation right now, which is that very comprehensive work program, 
and I think the colleagues who are, who are going to come after me, the colleagues on loss and damage will articulate mm. some of the key elements that we need to sort of have this substantive work program as well on, on loss and damage. That's where mm. we uh, we need to be and we have to also pass that one. Thank you so much, Sini. We have to end it there and I hope to... Um, Thank you, Sophie. <laughs> yeah, and I hope to actually find some more time to basically discuss the adaptation initiative and also look into what we achieve at Glasgow. I'll be happy to uh, to come and report hopefully uh, with the good news mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> with more yeah i'll be happy to come uh, but frank, uh, on a serious note i'll be happy to 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 come and and, and report uh, the outcome and also hopefully the the next steps going into into cop 27 because we've already uh, frankly we've already started working on on cop 27 uh, to ensure that uh, we have a second you know a substantive uh, thing that so i'll be happy to to also present some of our early thoughts on, on that one when we talk uh, at the end. Yeah, and thank you and so I look much. Forward thank you so to, much and I look forward to work with the uh, the Institute of Mathematics. I, I really heard good feedback on that institute and, uh, mm-hmm. and I, I'll be very happy to work with, with the institute. Please note our, our interest. Yeah, I hope Dr. Bambasila is listening and I've heard that and uh, we'll actually get in touch. Asante sana. And that was Abbas Sandasenina for the AGN spokesperson giving us the overview of issues Africa will be pushing at Glasgow. Please remember to subscribe to the Africa Climate Conversations podcast as we will be bringing you timely updates on Africa at Glasgow for the entire period. Please send us questions, comments, observations using info at africaclimateconversations.com. And please remember you can find us on Google, Spotify, iTunes, Anchor, every other podcast channel and we will soon be on youtube i will see you next week on tuesday but until then have a lovely week kwaheri my name is sophie